The following episode of Annals on Call is brought to you by Annals of Internal Medicine. For more episodes and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash oncall. There's three POCUS pillars. So there's the image acquisition, there's the image interpretation, and then there's the clinical integration with your patient at the bedside. Welcome to Annals on Call, a podcast based upon articles from the Annals of Internal Medicine in which we discuss the implications of the article for you, the listener. This is Dr. Bob Centaur. I'm Professor Emeritus at the University of Alabama at Birmingham and former chair of the Board of Regents for the American College of Physicians. This podcast focuses on point-of-care ultrasound. The article that we're going to review is called Comparative Accuracy of Focused Cardiac Ultrasonography and Clinical Examination for Left Ventricular Dysfunction and Valvular Heart Disease, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. The article appeared in the August 6, 2019 issue of the Annals of Internal Medicine. There's an accompanying editorial titled, Yes, We Scan, in the same issue. Joining us on this podcast is Renee Deversdahl who is an associate professor of medicine and a clinical and teaching hospitalist at Oregon Health and Science University. She is nationally known in ultrasound education and does a great deal at her home institution teaching students in the School of Medicine, nurse practitioners, and physician's assistants, as well as residence fellows and faculty. She co-directs and helps start a general medicine ultrasound fellowship in 2016, which is the first of its kind on the West Coast. She's active nationally as a board member for the Society for Ultrasound Medical Education and a member of the American College Physicians Clinical Skills Committee. She's very active in the ACP ongoing courses in POCUS. I believe that listening to this podcast will enhance your desire to gain more skills in point-of-care ultrasound And if you're not already doing point-of-care ultrasound, whet your appetite to learn to use this technique. Thank you for listening. Renee, thank you so much for joining us to discuss this article on focused cardiac ultrasonography versus clinical exam. For those people in the audience who haven't heard of the terms POCUS and FOCUS, could you clarify those for us? Yes, I would love to, Bob, and thank you for having me on the podcast. The first thing I want to define is POCUS, which is just your general term, kind of your quote-unquote wastebasket, although I think it's far better than for the wastebasket, but your general term for point-of-care ultrasound. And what this is, is it's the clinician at the bedside acquiring the images, interpreting the images, and then acting, clinically integrating with the patient in front of them in real time. And so that's kind of the secret sauce, if you will, of POCUS is really integration at the bedside, you yourself as a clinician. And then when we move to FOCUS, there's unfortunately a lot of acronyms within this ultrasound world, but FOCUS is specific to focused cardiac ultrasound. So we're really focusing, no pun intended, in on the heart examination. Certainly, my residents do this for me a lot. I'm sort of jealous that I haven't learned how to do it yet. And even at my uh, advanced age, I'm considering trying to learn some skills. And we'll talk about that maybe in a minute or two. They're machines and then they're handheld options. And 
Are they both used? What are the trends going in this field? That's an, an excellent question. And I have to say the field is moving at lightning speed. And so when point-of-care ultrasound was first being used in the ER, these docs talk about wheeling around machines bigger than a refrigerator uh, to their patient's bedside and how difficult that was. But it was the best thing for the patient. That was actually before mainstream CT scanner. So if you were worried about a trauma with hemoperitoneum, you could do a diagnostic peritoneal lavage. So they figured, okay, ultrasound is surely better. The FAST exam was one of the first ones. So anyway, of course, I I love ultrasound, so I get off on tangents, but uh, these huge machines. So then over time, they've progressed to more cart-based or laptop machines. And then with miniaturization of technology, there are new ones that hook up to iPhones, hook up to tablets. And these are truly what they call in the editorial handheld ultrasound. Other terms include pocket ultrasound. So with this, you do lose some of the fancy processing power or software of the large machines where your patients get sent for your referral ultrasonography, like your formal echocardiogram is going to be on a machine that has full processing, color power Doppler, spectral Doppler, tissue Doppler, all of these things that allow them to do the formal calculations and measurements. So we lose some of those things with handheld, but again, we're looking for ease of use, convenience, and really being there at the bedside. How do we contrast this for when we send a patient off to cardiology for an ultrasound for this particular article or to our radiology colleagues for formal ultrasound. What does POCUS and FOCUS do? In what way do these others complement that? There are some really nice graphics of this, but I will verbally describe it. So I mentioned POCUS or FOCUS is the physician or clinician at the bedside doing these things themselves and integrating real time. Whereas for our referral ultrasound, we are going to decide upon our test. We're going to order it. We're going to have to wait X amount of time. If you're at a site where you can't get an echo over the weekend inpatient, uh, you're going to wait until Monday. Someone else, a sonographer or an echocardiographer, is going to obtain the clinical images. Yet another person is going to interpret them. And eventually, you'll get back a report in you know, whatever electronic medical record you use. So there is kind of both a delay in time, but it's kind of stripping away the clinician at the bedside integrating what they found with the patient as well. So this article looks at focused cardiac ultrasonography or FOCUS and compares it with clinical examination to diagnose left ventricular dysfunction and to diagnose valvular heart disease. As Uh, Someone who trained in the 70s, physical exam is near and dear to my heart. Is focus going to enhance my physical exam? Is it, does it complement it or is it a totally different thing? Is it good for everything or do I still need to be good at physical exam? It's a wonderful question. And I would say, no matter what, I'm an internist. I love my stethoscope just like everyone else. So I'm not going to tell you to get rid of that. That was the first thing when I was starting to, to teach and preach this years ago. Don't worry, you guys. I'm not going to tell you to get rid of your stethoscopes. So um, the physical exam 100% has its place. And in terms of what point of care will now speak about focus, um, what it is, is it augmenting the physical exam? Is it a separate diagnostic test? This is an area of some debate. 
You'll note in this article, they actually comment on focus being this augmentation of the physical examination. However, the emergency medicine folks in literature, the ASEP guidelines are very clear that they believe that um, this is not an augmentation of the physical examination. And they believe this because you're able to get data that performs so much better than the physical examination when we compare it. In addition, with technology now, we can save these images. No one could go back to you and say, Bob, I don't believe you that you didn't palpate or feel peritoneal signs on this patient. But if you get ultrasound images of the abdomen and there's fluid and you missed it or your technique wasn't good enough, that's actually something that that we can review and find. And so emergency medicine, people believe that with technology, the onus is on us to treat it more like a diagnostic study and review them and quality assure them and other things. So it's a complicated answer. I believe it augments my clinical assessment. So I go to the patient's bedside. I do my history and my physical examination. I review their ECG, their chest X-ray, their labs, I add in my point of care ultrasound to all of that clinical assessment. I don't believe for me personally, it's just an augmentation of the physical exam. That's really helpful. Let's talk about the study because I found it fascinating. As you read the study, what did you see as the goal? And let's just briefly go into the methods. In this study, um, there have been a lot of small publications talking about point-of-care ultrasound focus, how it performs compared to our gold standards. And so in this study, they wanted to do the systematic review and meta-analysis of um, the comparative accuracy of our clinical assessment, just your regular old clinical assessment, and your focus-assisted clinical assessment. And they had specific target conditions of interest, which is important because I didn't mention this when we were talking about how we define POCUS or FOCUS, but another thing that sets it apart from our formal radiology or cardiology performed studies is that we have focused questions. So I'm not going to the bedside to do a full echo. I'm not doing a systematic, this entire 40-minute protocol every time. I have a question. Is this patient having, do they have LV dysfunction? Do they have an effusion? Do they have free fluid? I'm not doing a full systematic ultrasound and review. So we're talking about targeted questions. So back in the context of the study, the targeted conditions of interest were LV dysfunction, aortic and mitral valve pathology, and then pericardial effusions. So again, the question, does focus-assisted clinical assessment allow us to be more accurate than our regular history physical exam clinical assessment? And so they had done kind of your regular searches. The one thing I noticed was that in their search terms, they didn't search for bedside ultrasound or clinical ultrasound, which are two terms that emergency ultrasound folks use a little bit more. Um, And then basically they went through and they included all of the studies that um, reported the accuracy of the clinical assessment alone and the clinical assessment of focus. So they excluded studies, and this is an important point to note, that they, they excluded studies that evaluated the clinical exam or focus, but didn't compare them. And then the gold standard here, as I mentioned, is your standard 2D echocardiography with Doppler and color flow done by a sonographer or a cardiologist. So they have our true gold standard for what we would consider in these cases. And what did they find? 
they ended up including nine studies over a thousand patients. They did have, they noted there were nine other studies that met criteria, but they didn't provide the sufficient data for them to be able to calculate the accuracy, the true positive, true negative, false positive, false negative. And um, they did note a lot of studies had higher unclear risk of bias. Um, and then in terms of where these studies were performed, six of them were purely inpatient, two were inpatient, outpatient, and one was in the emergency department. So in terms of if we break it apart into, first of all, LV dysfunction, which they defined as an ejection fraction of less than 50%, they found uh, that we were 40% more sensitive when you cumulatively assess these studies together, we were 40% more sensitive in identifying left ventricular dysfunction than your traditional clinical assessment. And it was only 8% more specific. So they noted this large accuracy increase in sensitivity, a little bit less so in, in specificity. And then for the aortic or mitral valve disease, it was again more sensitive. The, the cumulative for all of those valve pathologies together was 26% more sensitive, and they found it to be as specific as the clinical assessment there. And a nice point is that they noted similar um, accuracies from observational studies. So even though those studies didn't fall into this um, meta-analysis. In general, it helps me feel comfortable that we're not just kind of pulling these numbers out of a hat. We're finding that we are, you know, this actually this sensitive with, with picking up LV dysfunction and valvular disease. Let's put this into clinical context. Yeah, and this perfect. could either be for an outpatient physician or uh, an inpatient physician. And obviously in the emergency department, it's very important and, uh, as a field, they tend to be more advanced in this th than we are. But put this into clinical context. Patient comes into your office who somebody thinks might be having uh, left ventricular dysfunction. Tell me about how you approach those patients and how you're teaching about that. Um, first of all, this study, as we mentioned, was about focus, focused cardiac ultrasound. And I would say that I, um, while I love that they were able to demonstrate here, you know, this provided great for, you know, credence to the growing body of literature that the diagnostic yield improves when we use focus. I would say it improves even more when we use multi-organ system focus. So I never look at just the heart. I'm always looking at the lungs for signs of increased density or pulmonary edema in the right clinical context. I'm looking for effusions as well. So when we put it all together, and again, I don't have this, um, the meta-analysis to, to back me up here, but when we put it together, I find it even more clinically powerful at the bedside. So uh, one of my, my fellows a couple years ago, so outpatient primary care practice, and a patient comes in, she's been to the ER twice with um dyspnea, some cough, mild cough, etc. And she kept getting sent home with diagnosis of bronchitis or URI. She presents to the clinic and he says, okay, I'm going to do a focused or, or, you know, a POCUS exam. And one that I will say that I really like is called the CLUE exam. It's from Dr. Bruce Kimura. And I can, um, I of course can tweet this or send you emails to it, but it strings together cardiac with lung. And so um, my fellow does this exam and he finds this woman's ejection fraction is about 30%. And again, I shouldn't even have said 
than because we care less about the percentage, more about is there LV dysfunction present or not? So she had LV dysfunction. She had signs of pulmonary edema and effusions, a large non-collapsing IVC going for elevated right atrial pressures. And so she actually was directed into the hospital, diuresed, underwent the workup for this new diagnosis of heart failure in someone that had no cardiac history whatsoever. So that's just an example of, of how powerful this can be. Someone that presented twice didn't have crackles. They didn't think that they saw JVP elevation and had florid heart failure. Let's talk about my friends in practice um, Yeah, who practiced before this was being taught in residency. And they're sort of excited about this. Uh, maybe we could finish with two concepts. Number one, in terms of diagnosis, what are the areas of POCUS that you find most useful that would be useful for outpatient physicians? And number two, how do they start learning how to do this? I find, as I mentioned, I love the lungs. I'm so proud to give lungs teaching at ACP courses. It's one of my favorite areas. So the lungs, in addition to the focused cardiac ultrasound, the abdomen for free fluid, does this patient with decompensated or previously compensated cirrhosis? Do they now have ascites or SBP? Do I need to tap them? Uh, kidney, genitourinary is just so hugely helpful. So many people come in with bladder outlet obstruction from prostatic enlargement, etc. And a personal example, my father-in-law progressed to acute kidney injury that wasn't caught, and I could have I could have looked in in five seconds at the beds, you know, at his house and figured this out. So, genitourinary is just incredibly useful as well. What about IVC? IVC, I personally lump that into my focused cardiac ultrasound because I don't believe that the IVC should be taken alone out of context. So if my IVC is huge, but the patient has very dry lungs and grossly normal ejection fraction, that might be a patient with, you know, OSA and and pulmonary hypertension. And so IVC gives us a great estimate of right atrial pressure. But we know that right atrial pressure doesn't always perfectly correlate to volume status. So I find it most powerful when I clinically integrate it with a couple other cardiac views and the lungs. The clinical situation where it's helped me several times is when I'm trying to decide if a patient's volume contracted. Do I need to give them volume yes. or do I need to hold off? And fortunately, my residents have been very good about looking at IVC collapse. Yeah, I would say that is one area in isolation where I would feel comfortable. So a flat IVC in a patient who is tachycardic, I don't know that the volume will help them, but I think that they will tolerate the volume. If I give them 500 cc's because IVC flat and collapsed is certainly under five. So in that setting, I believe that the patient will tolerate 500 cc's and I can reassess. And that helps us to not under-resuscitate those people with an EF of 30% where we're afraid to give fluid for sepsis. I'll definitely buy that. And if you're out in practice and you want to start doing this in your office, how do you get training? I'm very excited that ACP has, has leaned into this and is really working on ramping up trainings. First of all, just to take it a step back from ed theory kind of objectives, educational methods, I like to think of POCUS as there's three POCUS pillars. So there's the image acquisition, there's the image interpretation, and then there's the clinical integration with your patient at the bedside. And so if I want to learn how to acquire images, I could watch videos of how to do it till I'm blue in the face, but I'm not going to get that um, physical skill. 
And so we know that short courses, you know, one, two days, they don't translate into clinical competence and you have to build upon it. But a lot of times, if you're mid-career, late career, there's this kind of fear and intimidation of the ultrasound machine. So the short courses are excellent to get you over that hump and ready to practice in your own setting. And so I love the short courses to develop a skill set for some interpretation, image acquisition, as many reps as possible. And a lot of times we'll try to do cases to start to build your clinical integration acumen with these different um, tests and images. And then from there, you just have to get the reps. It's just, it's just practice, practice, practice. So this actually diagnostic ultrasound was not a part of my residency. I learned ultrasound for procedures and it was by paying attention in the emergency room and then also taking extra courses myself, then we have a ton of known pathology. A lot of our patients already have echocardiograms or CT scans. If you're in the hospital, tons of pathology. So then I would scan everyone I could get my hands on and compare it back to the gold standard that I already had in the chart. And I talk about this often. I have a sort of verbal consent I do with my patients. Hey, I'm not a radiologist. I'm not a sonographer. I'm trying to learn this skill to make my clinical assessments better. If I find something I'm not expecting, I might have to do another study to look into it. But a lot of times we find pathology that would be missed otherwise anyway. And so with this, you can really get that hands-on practice and reps in your own practice. And then online, there's so many great FOMED materials. I love there's, I mean, again, I can send you uh, resources. ACP has modules, podcasts. And for the clinical integration, some cases and the interpretation, just it's really just getting as much exposure as possible and just exposing yourself to this new new technology and new technique. I just love this one. I have to tell you this one thing for the clinical integration and all of us that are, are established in practice will love this. The line like caution, this machine has no brain, use your own. And so we, we really have to be uh, aware of that too. It sounds very much like uh, the experiences I have with my students and residents on physical diagnosis. They may have heard heart sounds on a on their on their iPhone or something, but until they actually put the stethoscope on the chest and hear the aortic stenosis murmur, they don't really get it, and they have to go back and forth. And I always tell them if we have someone with a murmur to go listen to it daily, just to start to own that. And my guess is what you're telling me is you have to do the same thing with POCUS and FOCUS is once you know that they have something, go back and look at it, make sure that you can acquire it and understand how you're acquiring it over and over again to get on the road towards expertise. Yeah. And I also, I review the images myself. So somebody gets a, um, a radiology based, uh, right upper quadrant ultrasound. I look at the images too. See, oh, I see. I couldn't get that view. The bowel gas was in the way. I look at the cardiograph echo images as well. And those are both giving me the kind of correlation with my images and then more visual reps on interpretation. So to wrap this up, does this article change anything in the way you're going to take care of patients? and the way you're going to teach uh, about looking for potential cardiac disease? I would say for me, because I drank the Kool-Aid very early, this doesn't change my practice or my teaching. But I think for more people that are, you know, us internists, as I mentioned, and, and we love our data, we want to be able to say we're doing something data-driven, 
high value. And so I, I really think that this just uh, is more convincing for maybe those that were a little bit reticent to, to really embrace this. And there's one other thing in this study was that they noted, of course, that your cardiologist, your great uh, experienced people, they're good. But even the students, everybody had an increase in their accuracy. And so even if you're new, um, one of my favorite mottos from this great ultrasound podcast is making horrible doctors decent and good doctors great. So I think that this also helped to show us that you don't have to be great to also add to your clinical accuracy. And so it's just more motivation for all of us. This is what I think. I don't think anyone should leave OHSU, whether they're PA, NP, uh, you know, like CRNAs. No one should leave my university without knowing some basics because I think it's the right thing in today's day and age in medicine. Well, Renee, thank you so much for putting this article into context and helping us understand the techniques that are being used, as well as the findings. It's been a great pleasure. It's been wonderful chatting with you, Bob, and I really appreciate the any opportunity to talk about something I, I love so much. Now it's time for Bob's Pearls. This very interesting discussion helped me conceptualize the role of point-of-care ultrasound in medical practice. It's becoming an important skill for all internists for several reasons. As Dr. Deversdahl pointed out, it can help us a great deal with the diagnosis of the heart, as this article looks at. But she also mentioned uh, lung disease, abdominal findings, volume status, and the genitourinary system. One of the best things about point-of-care ultrasound is it takes us back to the bedside examining the patient through the ultrasound technique. And I really took to heart a quote that she gave, caution, this machine has no brain, use your own. As internists, the ability to use our brain and integrate the findings from POCUS with our other diagnostic skills can be very valuable and time-saving. Thank you for listening. For more episodes of Annals on Call and links to CME and MOC, visit go.annals.org slash on call. Participant statements on this podcast reflect the views of the participants and not necessarily those of the journal or the American College of Physicians, unless so identified. The information contained in the podcast should never be used as a substitute for clinical judgment.